and welcome to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, conversations on healthcare reform. This podcast features experts in the field talking about the most salient issues in healthcare reform. And welcome to another episode of Unlocking Accountable Care. I'm your host, Emily George, and today we have the privilege of having Maria Levis on the show. Welcome to the show, Maria. Thank you, Emily, for having us on the show. Maria Levis is committed to transforming health systems to ensure access and health for vulnerable populations. She consults with primary care centers, physician groups, hospitals, pharmaceuticals, payers, and governments on health systems strengthening, quality, policy, and financing. She specializes in innovation, health systems research, policy analysis, quality improvement, and value-based care health projects in New York, Washington, D.C., and Puerto Rico. Maria, we are so excited to have you on the show today. And before we get into some of your current work and research, can you tell us a little bit about your career journey? Sure. So um, I actually have a very eclectic uh, career path. Um, And I think that's probably why um, I've been able to do a lot of the things that I've gotten to do. Um, And let me explain that. My background actually is in sociology and literature, right? So that's the academic path that I chose when I was a student. And it's funny because um, I guess what I learned was to communicate effectively and to study systems, right? And from there, I did a 15-year career working with nonprofits, mainly in K-12 education reform and with homeless. And it was the work that I was doing with the homeless, particularly related to planning of services and also understanding uh, the importance of prevention and health that I got into healthcare. So, uh, you know, back in the day when I was working with homeless, we did a project where we had to plan what the system had to look like to take care of homeless. And as you know, homeless are the most vulnerable you know, populations. They are people who the entire system, education, housing, welfare, healthcare, everything has collapsed and that's how they end up in the street, right? So it's someone who has been, you know, who's fallen through the cracks, right? And through that work, we were able to develop the first homeless management information system. I used to run uh, a nonprofit called um, Fundación Chani Samuel Levis, and uh, it was located in Puerto Rico. It was actually the first homeless management information system in the Caribbean. And what we started doing was using data to make decisions on how we should plan services. And the real turning point, and that's how I got into healthcare, was when I started noticing that um, homelessness was multi-generational. So I was seeing the children of the people who were already in the streets end up in the streets. And second, every year that we were doing um, the assessments, the population kept on getting younger. And that's when I decided to go back to school and I went to the Harvard School of Public Health and the Harvard uh, Kennedy School. That's actually where I met Rosemary Day. Uh, and yeah. that, and um, understand what health policy was about and understand what systems change was about. 
And, you know, since then I got, I came back to Puerto Rico. I actually worked for a health insurance company to understand how everything got paid, how everything got structured. And with them, I also did a bunch of projects around how federal funds ended up deploying into healthcare. And lo and behold, a couple of years later, I decided that the kind of work that I wanted to do was not the kind of work that I could do at a health insurance company. I could do it with a health insurance company, but not at a health insurance company because I was doing the operations side. And that's how Impactivo got created. And Impactivo stands for Impacto Positivo, which is positive impact in Spanish. And our mission as a company is to transform health systems. And we've been doing it for the last 10 years. Wow. I love that your background, how you started, um, you said, you know, in literature and then how it led to understanding systems and being able to communicate effectively with various populations. Um, I would love for you to just tell us a little bit more about Impactivo and some of the work that you do as well. Absolutely. So at Impactivo, our specialty is the implementation of evidence-based practices, right? So there's a lot of research that happens and there's a lot that we know from studies that are developed and interventions that are developed. And then when we go to the communities where we work, communities, uh, Hispanics, uh, low-income populations, Medicaid population, uninsured populations. We can't find any of those practices in place, right? So as a company, our mission is to really get those evidence-based practices that we know work in the hands of practices that serve low-income communities and vulnerable populations. So in order to implement effectively, there's a couple of areas that we have um, specialized in. One is uh, data-driven decision-making. The other one is training and implementation. And uh, the third one is financing. And we understand that those are the three areas that need to get structured correctly in order to in, you know, implement these practices in, in communities that need them. So we have a particular expertise and this is a little bit of my background as, as well. Since 2011, I've been a, an NCQA patient-centered medical home content expert. So I've been working with practices for a while on how they implement patient-centered medical home ex effectively. And we've designed some methodologies focused specifically on how you can enable practice transformation in a way that improves quality metrics. And we've been able to document how the intervention's been able to move those quality metrics. A lot of it has to do with how practices are structured as team-based settings. So really ensuring that instead of having uh, the physician work with the patient alone, making sure that the patient has a team and the patient and the caregivers are part of that team to make sure patients are healthy at home. And now with COVID-19, we've been also doing a lot of work related to that, uh, incorporating virtual communication tools to en enable access. So telehealth, telemedicine, and other communication uh, mechanisms, because our purpose is not just providing access to health care, it's providing access to health. So making sure that patients are ready to stay healthy at home.
which is so important at these times. There, there are two things, Maria, that you described that I would love to dive into a little bit more. One, you talked a little bit about a team-based approach to providing care and, and the ways in which it can af- impact health outcomes. And then you also talked a little bit about telehealth. Um, before we dive into the telehealth piece, would you be able to, to talk to us a little bit about um, some of the research you've done around organizational factors and, and the, their impact on health outcomes? Absolutely. So uh, we just published an article called Organizational Conditions Impact um, Team-Based Care for Diabetic Patients in Low-Income Communities, and it's in Frontiers in Endocrinology. Um, It's a scoping review, and what we looked at was our real interest was in low-income communities and how organizational conditions impact the capacity of organizations to improve diabetic patient outcomes. So specifically hemoglobin A1C, right? Control of hemoglobin A1C. Uh, The the process was extremely interesting because what we found is that there's very little information on low-income communities. What we know is that team-based care is the only factor in the care of diabetic patients that has consistently shown improvements in care. And what we also know is that taking nurses, physicians, administrators, health educators, et cetera, nutritionists, and putting them in a clinic does not create a team. Mm. So even though we were not able to find as many studies as we wanted on low-income patients specifically, we were able to assess um, team-based care models for diabetic patients in, in general. And a lot of that literature does show that the sicker the patients, the more a team is important. So the more improvements that team-based care creates. And there are reasons why, you know, and, and I think all of us that have worked in an office know that having a bunch of people in the same place doesn't make a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what makes a team is the structures and processes, the workplace culture, the team's skill and knowledge, and not just what happens with the people, but we also found that there are there are factors external to the team. So even if the team is well-trained, even if there are structures and, and policies, and even there if there's a good culture for the team to work, there are factors at the organizational level and at the system level that impact the capacity of providers to provide team-based care effectively. Some of those factors are governance, so how are decisions made at the organization level, resources, how are resources deployed at the organization and at the system level, and both technology, what tools do the teams have in order to engage in team-based care, as well as the financial implications. And one thing that we hear over and over again is how payment systems do not make team-based care a priority. So uh, those are like the general findings of our study. And you know, you're welcome to 
go into frontiers in endocrinology and look up the the study you can look it up under my last name levis mm-hmm. and um i'm more than happy to provide it but there are all of these things that we have to look at when we are designing interventions to enable team-based care and a lot of the implementation strategies that a methodologies that we're developing at Impactivo are based on this model. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I, it's so interesting because I feel like that your findings seem um, intuitive, you know, somewhat. But the part that is just really interesting, like you said, is um, how do you really facilitate this team-based approach, you know, in a way that goes beyond um, just putting people in the same space? And I think, like you said, the there there are a lot of of methods that can be done to strengthen organizational culture and that interpersonal communication. And so I'm curious, you know, based on these findings, um, what are you planning to do next to sort of practically execute on building these teams? You know, what is Impactivo doing and and how will you use some of these results? So we have um, the methodology that I mentioned for practice transformation takes organizations so it's not just the team it takes the organizations and it uh, we've developed a process whereby through eight full day sessions and some homework in between we're able to help the organizations address a lot of these um, areas there are things that are outside of the control of the organization particularly related to financial implications technology and everything that has to do with regulation. A perfect example is what we're seeing with telehealth right now. So one of the um, extraordinary things that is happening due to the COVID-19 pandemic is the need for remote um, health services is so significant that we're seeing changes in regulation, which is governance. A lot of that is a emergency our emergency provisions so we have to see how that how those policies play out so we've been very vocal on the need for those policies to maintain and the federal government is definitely um, signaling that they want to maintain those policies but we're also in conversations with payers and uh, local state agencies particularly Medicaid to ensure that they start paying it's not just parity with respect to telehealth. It's interesting because what we're finding with a lot of providers and we're um, in the process of developing a study to understand the implications of COVID-19 on the medical practices and physician groups because providing telehealth appropriately using team-based care is costly Mm. and it takes a lot of upfront investment. So we need to make sure that, that that funding comes from somewhere and we're being very vocal about the need for that to happen. Um, and then there is an aspect that has to do with technology and we actually got the wonderful news on May 1st that the National Science Foundation just funded our organization. So it just um, provided Impactivo with an SBIR, which is a Small Business Innovation Research Grant to help enable team-based care using the patient-centered medical home model. So we're um, pushing in all of these areas. More does need to happen. Um, Mm -hmm. Our biggest concern is related to vulnerable populations. So a lot of people look at telehealth and they think, you know, cool gadgets and devices. Um, 
what we're finding and what we've seen is that the telephone and the more basic technology is a cr like a crucial tool that there are players like community health workers or community health linkages that need to help and support patients in engaging with a virtual health or with um, telehealth. I think when folks talk about telehealth, the socioeconomic demographic and the, the population that is prioritized is very specific and it's not necessarily the sickest patients who are minority, are generally minority and older, right? And low income. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that needs to be prioritized is how do we address health equity in the context of the implementation of telehealth? And um, we've, we've just given a presentation with the Clinton Global Initiative and with other, uh, you know, the local medical association and other groups to ensure that as decisions get made, vulnerable populations are taken into account. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, congratulations on, you know, this, the small grant that you received to do more of this work. And um, I, I would love for you to just um, discuss a little bit more. What, what are the considerations that, that should be taken into account? Okay, that's so one of the things that is um, central to patient-centered care uh, is knowing, knowing your patients. So one of the things that happened once the uh, pandemic, you know, was declared and CMS published its prioritization of telehealth services for pop the population writ large, but particularly vulnerable populations, because we need to reduce their uh, risk ex exposure. I started calling CMS, HRSA, Army Telehealth, the Telehealth Resource Center, to understand what tools there are to assess patients' needs and readiness to engage with this technology, and we couldn't find a tool. So uh, what we spent March doing and April was developing a tool uh, called the Impactivo uh, Telehealth Patient Readiness Assessment, and we ran it with a sample uh, of uh, residents in Puerto Rico who use Facebook and the findings were pretty incredible um, so the first thing is you need to understand the population not as uh, study subjects but in order to develop appropriate workflows and the technology that we submitted to the National Science Foundation is specifically on identifying patients and being able to refer them to workflows that are able to address their needs for example um, if you have a patient like me, right, I'm extremely techy and, and I know healthcare and I know how to take care of myself. I might be, you know, I'm probably a low touch patient. I can figure out how to get myself on telehealth visit. You know, you just have to send me a couple of emails. I can, you know, call in, etc. My parents, right, my 81 year old father who uses a flip phone and has, you know, he's a, he's healthy, he walks a lot, but he's, he's had a quadruple bypass, right? So it is not going to be that easy to get him 
uh, connected into telehealth. Someone needs to be there. And in my case, you know, my dad's case, he's got me. A lot of elderly patients live alone. So how are we going to design workflows within healthcare of, you know, for example, community health workers that are going to go to that patient's house and help prepare them and help prepare their homes so that they can take care of their health. So uh, a lot of it is about knowing the patients and additionally deploying the appropriate resources, including human resources, not just technological resources. Because um, of course there's issues around uh, access to broadband and equipment, but a lot of it just has to do with how do we enable the care to be provided where the patient is. Wow, that is also interesting, Maria. And I, I love the concept of um, this readiness assessment to really get more of a comprehensive idea of what the needs are of the patients you're serving. And like you said, really getting to know them. Um, we are surprisingly getting to the end of our time. Um, and so I just want to um, take a step back a minute and just ask you, you know, all of the things you're doing are so extremely relevant and important, um, especially in light of the pandemic. Um, and, and what's next for you? You know, what's next for Impactivo? Um, where are you going to be focusing your efforts and your resources, you know, for the next three to six months? So um, we're going to be focusing very deeply on this issue of telehealth and access for vulnerable populations. Uh, there's two write-ups that we have on our webpage, and one of them is also in uh, the Day Health Consulting website. Uh, one of them is the primary care transformation in times of COVID-19. Uh, write up. It's a white paper we did with Day Health Consulting, and you can access it to understand, you know, more about the logistics related to this um, system that, as I was mentioning. Uh, but we also have the evaluating telehealth as an alternative to support patients in times of COVID-19 report, which provides the um, data. And in Puerto Rico, in April and May, only six percent of patients were accessing telehealth. And we, um, we're talking about a representative sample of 2 million Puerto Ricans. So there's a lot that needs to be done if we want to make sure that patients are accessing care. We're already seeing excess mortality due to COVID-19, not because of COVID-19. Excess mortality is, you know, people who didn't go for their follow-up care because they were afraid that they were going to, um, you know, COVID-19 and therefore they didn't take care of themselves and ended up, you know, ended up causing mortality. That's happening across the nation. Um, and we are working in Puerto Rico to uh, provide physicians and physician groups and particularly federally qualified health centers with the tools and resources to address the needs of the local population. But we understand this is an issue that has um, implications for vulnerable populations throughout the nation. So we will continue to bring those issues up and also provide our support in the form of the um, telehealth readiness assessment, uh, also helping providers with the skills and also the implementation design. So how are they going to develop their workforce 
and their workflows to enable care for patients. And also we're gonna be finalizing the technology from the National Science Foundation so that we can provide this in a more seamless and scalable fashion. Mm, wonderful. Well, Maria, thank you so much for joining our show today and, and sharing all about your important work and research. And we look forward to hearing how it all goes for you. Thanks, Emily. And I look forward to hearing about the great work that you guys are doing as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Day Health Strategies podcast, Unlocking Accountable Care, Conversations on Healthcare Reform. Day Health Strategies is a Boston-based, mission-driven healthcare consulting firm specializing in providing timely and effective solutions to complex problems in healthcare. To learn more about our work, please visit our website at www.dayhealthstrategies.com or follow us on Twitter at dayhealthstrat. Just a reminder, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policies or positions of Day Health Strategies. Our producer and host is Emily George. Editing is done by Kate Gautam. Special thanks to Purple Planet for the use of their songs.